Well, we begin our new series in Galatians, so go ahead, grab your Bibles and head to the book of Galatians, found in the New Testament and the second half of the New Testament. Now, as we turn to Galatians for the first time, it's really important to understand the backdrop to this book, or as we're going to soon find out, this letter from the Apostle Paul. Galatia is a region in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And in Acts 13, we read that the Apostle Paul took his first missionary journey to the area. And along with Barnabas, he established and put together the first early churches in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. Later in Acts 14, we read a second missionary journey was undertook. And Paul returns to these churches to further encourage and to strengthen them in their faiths. As we begin to look at this letter together, we must recognise this partnership between Paul and the churches. This letter is no fleeting passing thoughts. This is the founding church leader who has nurtured and cared for the church, writing to believers to instruct them and guide them in their faith. It's a precious letter and should be handled with care, for this is a loving leader sending his guidance to a church who are struggling. We'll be considering the first nine verses today, and as we walk through the passage, look out for two specific things. Gospel ministry is done best in partnership, and we should always return to the Word of God for guidance and assurance. Gospel ministry is best in partnership, and we should return to the Word of God for guidance and assurance. Keep those things in mind as we now head to Galatians chapter 1 and from verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Now, it's common in all of Paul's letters to introduce himself by name with an attached salutation. Here in Galatians, Paul uses the salutation, an apostle, meaning that he is one sent by specific commission. We know in Scripture that the apostles were specifically chosen and commissioned by Jesus, who then granted them the power of the Holy Spirit to help them complete the tasks they were chosen for. So for Paul to be an apostle, he must have been commissioned by Jesus. And we learn of that encounter in Acts 9 from verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Paul, originally named Saul, was one of the fiercest opposers to Christianity and belief in Jesus. He would order the killing of Christians and for a time he succeeded in doing so. But what stopped him? What stopped him killing Christians and opposing faith in Jesus? Well, that was the resurrected Lord Jesus. Here is Paul heading on his way to kill more Christians and Jesus turns up in all of his glory, stopping Paul right in the middle of that journey. And notice that Jesus has seen all of his activities. He's seen the persecution against the, those that believe in Jesus. Yet notice in verse 6 that he shows Paul, I have a plan for you. I'm going to tell you what you are to do. You're not going to be killing Christians. You're going to be winning souls for the eternal king. So Paul was commissioned by Jesus to be his ambassador, to serve the kingdom of Jesus. He therefore, by the grace of God, was granted this position as apostle, specifically commissioned by Jesus. Yet we see here in verse 1 that Paul has to defend his right to be called an apostle. You see, many people were questioning how he could be an apostle, for he was not one of the twelve and he didn't replace Judas. 
They accuse Paul of being a man-made apostle, taking on the title for himself. Yet as Paul declares, it was through Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who made him an apostle. Other teachers and speakers of the law might have credentials as long as their arms, but Paul had the main one. Jesus had sent him. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Yes, grace and peace are fairly common phrases and greetings in the time of Paul, but this is no throwaway comment. Grace is our source of salvation. It is the creator God showing unmerited favour by sending Jesus as a living sacrifice. Through grace that God grants through Jesus, our positions are changed from lost to found, from sinner to child of God. And then this results in peace. Not necessarily an earthly peace, but an eternal assurance that our life is secure in Jesus. In one phrase, we have the source and result of salvation. Where does it come from? It comes from the Father, through Jesus Christ. What does it provide? It provides eternal peace. The very heart of the gospel is the willingness of Jesus to give himself up, his very life for each of us. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus took our sin, bore them on the cross, not out of obligation, but out of agape love, the selfless and sacrificial love of Jesus. That is the source of the gospel. And the result is that we are delivered or rescued from the age of evil or from the dangers of sin. Delivered literally means to be rescued. This was the rescue plan of God to send Jesus to save sinners. This was the will of God to save his people. And in this plan, God is glorified for eternity, for he is showing amazing grace. In these few verses, we see the gospel explained. Firstly, God decides to rescue his people. Secondly, Jesus bears the sins of mankind on the cross. Third, the apostles are sent out to declare the gospel. Fourth, by grace through faith, peace is granted. And finally, the Lord is glorified by it all. This was the message that Paul had preached in establishing these churches in Galatia. This is, was the message he still preaches to build them up and to encourage them. By divine commission, he has been sent to share the good news of Jesus. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even though the church had heard and grasped this wonderful gospel message, Paul is amazed and astonished that they are now leaving that truth for something else. But notice that he's not amazed that they've been tempted away. False teachers were common and it's a daily battle to remain faithful to the word of God. What amazes Paul is how quickly they have deserted the gospel truth of Jesus. The Jewish people were spreading a different news. It wasn't salvation through faith by grace. It was salvation first by becoming a Jew. You see, they preached works-based salvation. Only the circumcised, only the law keepers, only the chosen Jewish people would be granted salvation. And this was causing major confusion in the church, for it sounded reasonable and spiritual. 
the church began to believe it and served man's opinion, placing their faith in works. But notice what Paul points out. It's not a different gospel, for there is only one gospel. There is no such thing as works-based gospel, poverty gospel, prosperity gospel. Of course, they're there in existence, but they're all shams and distortions of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. The false teachers are spreading confusion and unsettling hearts and minds with a single aim, to gain followers for themselves. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is talking really here in the hypothetical as the Lord's angels and Paul really would never desert true doctrine. But what he is saying here though is reject and avoid anyone who would preach anything contrary to the Bible. Remember, he has preached the gospel to them. They have deserted it really quickly by just a false doctrine that's been preached. And Paul is saying here, avoid it, reject it, because it is contrary to scripture. And this is really important. It's regardless who that comes from. It might be from a friend. It might be from a pastor. It might be from within your very own church. But if they are preaching something that is false, that is twisted, that is a distortion of the true gospel, you must reject it and you must avoid it at all costs. John MacArthur phrased it this way, to subject oneself to false teaching, no matter how orthodox one's own convictions might be, is to disobey God and to compromise and weaken one's testimony and serves to tolerate distortion of the grace of God in Christ. We must stand against false teaching for it brings serious eternal consequences. So in these first nine verses, we have Paul coming in with that wonderful gospel message, but then we have a quite drastic and blunt and bold declaration. Reject the false doctrine you have been taught. So what is our two take home lessons for us in our introduction to the Galatians? Well, firstly, gospel ministry is done best in partnership. Did you see how Paul formed the church, then encouraged the church, then visited the church, and is now at pains to protect and correct the erring from true doctrine? This is true partnership in the gospel, true unity in display here. It's not about fancy models or slick designs. It's about rolling up your sleeves and being in the trenches together. What we have on display here is a true example of 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Paul sees the church suffering from confusion and false teaching and so he ditches his normal thanksgivings and gets straight to the point. Brothers and sisters, reject this nonsense. Return to Jesus. I think over the years we have eroded and distorted what it means to be in partnership for the gospel. Maybe we just sign a check to a missions organisation but we don't really know where it's going and what it's being used for. We quite often discourage younger people from going into ministry, suggesting they need to mature and get a bit older before they go in. We're unwilling to serve in the trenches, often wanting the limelight and the focus to be on us. But true gospel partnership is flying the flag of Jesus in all circumstances. 
It's funding Bible teaching. It's encouraging young people to get into ministry. It's prayer emails to missionaries. It's being on our knees, broken for the lost. It's spurring on our fellow believers to be involved in gospel work and not just in social action. Partnering for the gospel is not about our glory or our success. It's about the glory of God. How is God glorified? When his obedient children lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is gospel ministry. And I want to be very clear today. There is no unity and no partnership unless there are souls saved and souls growing in Christ. If that is not occurring, there is no partnership. There is no unity. It's a sham and distortion of the gospel. What Paul has on display here for us today in Galatians is gospel ministry by souls saved and souls growing. Second, I want you to see this. God's word is our foundation. Notice how Paul was bold enough. Reject what is not God's word. Avoid it. It's dangerous. We must not be cavalier with the word of God. What it says to do, we do. What it says to not do, we don't do. And by faith, we don't just accept the word of God, but we also live it out every day. Like Paul, I'm astonished at how many Christians wander away from the word of God, choosing more palatable, easier messages to hold on to. It is not the gospel they believe in. It's a false, twisted distortion of God's word. Friends, you cannot be a believer in Christ if you do not live, breathe and proclaim the word of God. For Jesus is the word. To accept the word is to accept Jesus. To reject the word is, in any form of way is to reject Jesus himself. The word and Jesus go hand in hand. Therefore, belief, faith and acceptance in Jesus is belief, faith and acceptance of the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All of the Bible, and notice that, all of it is needed for every aspect of life. It will equip every believer to do the will of God. Without it, we become lost and confused, just like the church in Galatia. Now, as we head into communion in a few moments, remember this. The gospel of Jesus is truth, and by the grace of God, it should be protected, honoured, lived, and in partnership, we should spread the news of Jesus far and wide. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this journey we're now on for the next 12 months to learn the book of Galatians, this letter from Paul to the church of Galatia. Father, we praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who by grace saves us. Father, we praise you that it brings eternal peace. Father, help us not be confused or taken away by false teaching. Help us reject distortions of the word of God and help us live honouring as Bible-believing Christians who share the gospel message far and wide in partnership with fellow believers. We pray this in your name. Amen.